Well, good morning. How are y'all doing? Oh, man. Some of y'all are awake. I like it. Uh, my name is Marco. I am the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us this morning, for joining us in worship. I hope you are doing well. I'm not distracted. I'm just getting my notes ready. Uh, man, I got a couple of things to ramble about for you this morning. But before I dive into that, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to find ourselves starting our time in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 15. And so while you flip through uh, your Bibles, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I just got a couple of things for you. The first one is, man, if you are new, we'd love to hang out with you. Make sure that you fill a Connect card, drop it in the offering basket. Someone will get with you within 24 hours. That's service. Number two, um, I don't think we have any more of these, uh, but last week we handed and gave away uh, this book. It's called uh, Affirming the Apostles' Creed. It's written by J.I. Packer, a wonderful book as we walk through uh, the Apostles' Creed this summer. I'm not sure if we have any copies left. If we do, that is our gift to you. If we don't have any copies, sorry, but they're 10 bucks on Amazon. So if you got some extra cash, definitely check out this book. It's wonderful for personal devotion. It's wonderful for Bible study. And at the end of every chapter, J.I. Packer has uh, uh, some questions for discussion, which are perfect for community groups or discipleship groups. And, and as I mentioned just now, uh, just personal Bible study. Um, other than that, there should be some Bibles on the rows there with y'all. If you don't have one, that also is our gift to you. Man, look at this. What else do you want? Huh? You want some coffee? We got some in the back, right? Free 99. Um, that's all we got. Those are all my announcements. As I mentioned, we're going to dive into uh, Matthew 16. Um, one of the things I told you uh, last week as we looked at the section that discusses God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, as we walked through that, we looked at a ton of scripture, and we're going to do the same thing this morning. We're starting in Matthew 16. That's kind of our launching pad, but then we're going to go into a bunch of other sections of the Bible. So I hope you've been memorizing the books of the Bible so that you can get to them fairly quickly. And if you're on an app, that's cheating. Uh, but apart from that, uh, again, I just hope that y'all are doing well. Um, I kind of want to just dive into our time. I'll read this section of Matthew, and then, uh, and then I'll pray, and then, uh, and then we'll keep, keep it going. Here we go. This is Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. So he writes, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesar Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Let's pray. God, as we come before you and worship with our hearts prepped, <clears throat> God, I pray that our hearts would now receive your word, that we would receive both conviction and comfort that we would both worship and adore you in this time. That as we look through your word, that we would not only be students, but that we would ultimately be children. God, as we spend our time in your word, I pray that you would be glorified, and I pray that I would be set aside. And the Holy Spirit, it would be you at work through me, at work in and through my brothers and sisters, and those who are visiting. God, we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity to worship you. We ask all these things in your name. 
Amen. There's a misunderstanding that Christianity thrives only on belief or facts. In other words, many people will defend Christianity from a position of data and facts, and while that is good, it's incomplete. You see, Christianity doesn't only depend on facts and belief, it depends on a person, Jesus Christ. We're going to walk through a lot of scripture, there's going to be a lot of transitions, and so if I lose you, I'm sorry, but here's one thing, here's the thing I want you to absorb and chew on. The centrality of Christianity is not only belief in Jesus, but submission to his lordship. Think of that as the main theme or the main idea of our time this morning. I'll say it one more time. The centrality of Christianity is not only belief in Jesus, but submission to his lordship. What I mean by that is when we study an ideology that was brought to life by someone, whether it's a political ideology or even a system of beliefs, that system or that ideology doesn't necessarily depend on the person it came from. You can go back a hundred years and even more and think through ideologies, think through system of beliefs that were birthed by individuals And as we are in the present, those ideologies or those system of beliefs do not depend on that individual. Christianity, however, cannot exist without the person of Jesus. And if it does, then it's not Christianity. In Matthew, the section that we just walked through, Jesus raises a question to his disciples and to us this morning... And that is, who do you say that I am? That's an important question. That's a significant question. Because how we answer it says a lot about what we believe and who we are. It's an important question because, as I mentioned, it defines who we are. It's an important question because the answer for Christians is going to demonstrate and show others how we worship, where we stand on how we worship. That answer is going to help us defend the truth. That answer is also going to reveal, or I should say it should reveal, the condition of our hearts. This morning, we're going to be looking at the section in the creed that says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And much like last week, This is a statement that is densely packed, and I'm going to do my best to break it down and essentially answer the question, what does this mean? Why is this important? And so we're going to look at three things, I think, maybe, I'm long-winded. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at Jesus the Christ, we're going to look at Jesus as God's only Son, and then we're going to look at Jesus as Lord. And at the end of our time, 
We're going to spend actually the most time on the last section. That as Jesus as Lord, if we confess him as Lord, let me, let me kind of step back a little bit. I'm getting excited. That if we confess Jesus as Lord, that statement, that belief has implication. That if you as a Christian would say, yes, man, I affirm that Jesus is Lord, then it has implication. We'll talk about that toward the end. And as I mentioned, we're going to jump through a ton of scripture. And so beginning with Jesus the Christ, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Now because these are densely packed areas, I might walk through them fairly quickly, try not to talk too fast. I haven't finished my coffee, so that's a good sign. But in the event that I lose you, this, will be, this is recorded, right? Awesome. It's online for y'all. Okay? Beginning in verse 17, this is Jesus at the start of his ministry. He enters the synagogue and, and, the scroll of the, and goes to the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. It was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord, Jesus is quoting Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And Jesus began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. When we look at that whole name, Jesus the Christ, here's what I want you to know, and we're going to reference to Luke 4 off and on in this section. Christ is not his last name. I don't know if I bursted any bubbles. I don't know if some were like, what? Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title given to him. The title Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. From the Old Testament. In this section of Scripture in Luke 4, and, and I think what's difficult for me is that I want to pull so much Scripture, and so I hope that these do just as though I'm sure they will because the Word of the Lord is perfect. In Luke 4, at the start of his ministry, as Jesus walks into the synagogue and he gets hooked up with the scroll from the prophet Isaiah and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Jesus is saying something about him as the Messiah, as the Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, when one was anointed with oil, it was to show that God had set that individual apart for a specific task and call, that that individual was chosen by God. And so when Jesus is quoting Isaiah and he says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, he is saying all of the things from the Old Testament, all of the examples that we have of people being anointed is inevitably leading up to me, that God has sent me that I am the Christ, that I am the Messiah. 
Jesus is saying that not only has he been set apart by God, but that he is the Christ, and as a result, he has been sent by God to reconcile man to God. I would say it this way. To know Jesus is to be a good student of the Old Testament. The story of Jesus does not begin in Matthew, but it begins in the opening pages of Genesis as God reveals his plan for redemption. Jesus the Christ is significant because Jesus fulfills three ministries that were appointed to, that men were appointed to in the Old Testament. And those are the ministries of prophet, priest, and king. Three ministries accomplished through one man. That Jesus is prophet, that is, that he is a messenger, chosen and appointed by God. That Jesus is the priest, he is a mediator between God and man. And that Jesus is king, ruler and sovereign. Ruler and sovereign over an eternal kingdom. The Christ means that Jesus meets our needs through these ministries. That he meets our needs through these ministries. He meets our need of reconciliation. If you think about it, when you go back to the Old Testament, what was the role of the prophet? The prophet was someone that was chosen by God to proclaim repentance to everybody. Essentially saying, repent and return. Jesus meets our need of reconciliation because the message of the gospel is a message of repentance from sin. Jesus meets our needs of sacrifice because Jesus is not only a priest, but he is the perfect sacrifice. He is the one without sin. And then Jesus meets our need for a savior because as Lord, Jesus has redeemed us to himself. We've talked about the word redemption in the past, and the word redemption means to buy out of. Specifically in the context that we see in the New Testament, to buy out of slavery and to never return. Jesus buys us out of slavery with his own blood and calls us to himself. The Christ is much more than the one sent by God. Though that is important and significant, it has weight to it. And the weight is that through Jesus, these three ministries are fulfilled and accomplished. Secondly, we look at Jesus his only son. And I want to talk about two things in this section. We're going to find ourselves in Hebrews 1. Let's see who gets there first. Beat y'all. This is Hebrews 1. We're going to look at the second part of verse 3 all the way through verse 5. <clears throat> After making purification for sins, that's Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. 
For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The two things that I want to speak on briefly when it comes to the section of Jesus is God's only son is number one, that that immediately speaks to the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. I'll touch on that in just a bit. The second thing that I want to touch on is that it speaks to the incarnation. God in the flesh. We'll talk about that in just a bit. Repeatedly, we hear Jesus speak of his relationship to the Father. And we see the Father address Jesus as his Son. That, as a result, teaches us about the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, that God is one but exists in three persons. One divinity, distinct in relationship, yet diverse in role and in function. When we look at Hebrews, and then when we look at this one passage, and I'll take you there in just a bit, when we look at Hebrews, and when we look at this one passage in Colossians, we see that according to the creed, and according to the teaching of Scripture, that Jesus has always eternally existed. That is, that He is not a created being. In Colossians, Paul writes that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's in Colossians 1. The word firstborn can mean two things. It can mean birth order, or it could mean a designation of authority. Paul is using it in the way of designation to authority. Scripture in Hebrews 1 and in the creeds affirm this that Jesus has always eternally existed. And he has existed as God's son. I want to take you briefly to the Nicene Creed. Written in the third century, they were very specific because this was the hot debate of their day. And so this is what they write, or this is what, what it says in the Nicene Creed. And we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. We hear that language in Hebrews. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, not made. It wasn't that a man became God, it's that the God the Son has always existed. Begotten, not made. Of the same essence as the Father. That speaks to His divinity. Through Him, all things were made. Both Scripture and ancient creeds affirm not just the divinity and eternal existence of Christ, but also His humanity. And the reason it's important the reason when we start talking about the divinity of Christ and we start talking about the humanity of Christ, the reason it's important is because it speaks to the central message of the gospel. That God became flesh and dwelled 
among us. That God entered into human history as the man, Jesus Christ, lived the life we can't live, died the death that you and I deserve. And Jesus had to be God in order to satisfy the wrath of the Father. And Jesus had to be man in order to identify with us, suffer in our place, and sympathize in our weakness. That's why it's so important that he has existed, does exist, and will continue to exist. So that's God the Son. Here's the last section. Jesus as Lord. We're going to be in Romans 10, verses 9 through 10. And we're going to spend most of our time here. Beginning in verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with their heart, excuse me, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Saying that Jesus is Lord particularly in the first century, was a statement of controversy. I think it still should be. Because the main statement of the first century was that Caesar is Lord. That your allegiance was to him. And so when people, when Christians came out and said, Jesus is Lord, they put their cards on the table. And they weren't exactly met with unfriends on Facebook, where they unfriend them. They weren't exactly met with people unfollowing them on Instagram. They were met with hostility and persecution because their allegiance was to Christ. Today, when we use the title, when we even when we use the word Lord, Oftentimes, we use it as a way of paying respect to Christ. But that wasn't necessarily what that word was intended for. It actually has a lot more weight and a lot more meaning. I want you to listen to uh, theologian Alistair McGrath. This is what he says. Old Testament writers were reluctant to refer to God directly. God's name was regarded as too holy to be bandied about. When it was necessary to make reference to God, they generally used a cipher of four letters that translated into the name Yahweh. These letters were used to represent the sacred name of God. When the Old Testament scriptures were translated from Hebrew to Greek, the word Lord was used to translate the sacred name of God. Long before the New Testament, the word Lord thus came to refer to God himself. The word Lord has implication. This is where we're now heading into some practical stuff. That when we confess Christ as Lord, that has implication. It is not merely a word used to demonstrate our respect for God. 
It is that. It's part of that. But it certainly has a lot more meaning. The reverence that the Old Testament writers had was that the name of God was so sacred that you wouldn't even say it. The reverence that they had is completely different to how we use or how even how we view reverence today. And so, if you're a Christian and you say, man, I affirm that Jesus is Lord, then that has implications. That has implications for you and I. Right? It's not just something cool that we slap on, you know, Instagram, social media, even got a shirt, maybe name our ministry that. It has implications. And so here are four implications that I want to walk through. This is where we'll spend most of our time. The first implication is that if you confess Jesus as Lord, then you must die to yourself. It's number one, that you must die to yourself. Has anybody ever watched the movie Rudy? Show of hands. Yes. We're friends. Okay. If you've never watched the movie Rudy, you should. Okay. It's a wonderful movie. I don't even think it's about football because I don't know. I just don't think it's about football. Whatever. I digress. If you've never watched the movie Rudy, you need to go watch the movie Rudy. And in particular, those of you dudes who have not watched the movie Rudy, you need to go watch the movie Rudy because some of y'all need to let out a good cry. Rudy will do that for you. Okay? Period. In the movie, and this is a huge paraphrase, so if you're a big Rudy nerd, yeah, all right, I'm butchering it, whatever. In the movie Rudy, he's trying to get into the University of Notre Dame. And so he finds himself in a chapel this one day, and he's praying, and a priest comes out, and the priest sits down next to him in, in the pew in front of him, and he's talking to him about what's going on. And Rudy is just telling him everything that he's doing. He's telling him that he's working hard at school, he's telling him that he's working hard at work, and he's telling him that he's working hard at praying a lot. And the priest had such a great response. I don't know if you guys remember it. And the priest says that in all his years of ministry, he has found two conclusions. The first one is that there is a God, and the second one is that he is not him. Right? When we look at this first implication of us dying to ourselves, a shorter way of saying it is that he is God and you are not that we need to adopt the same conclusions as the priest from Rudy. We live in a culture right now that is all about autonomy and individualism. And as a result of autonomy or individualism, we desire control And we want to have our own personal lordship over something. Now check it. As we walk through these four implications, you're going to see that they're going to overlap. I'll talk about that later. But we live in a culture of autonomy and individualism that says you can be your own God. In fact, 
Culture says it's good. Check it on Instagram, on those stories. It's going to tell you that it's okay for you to be your own God. Autonomy is a good thing. Individualism is a good thing. You being in charge of your own life and inevitably being a personal lord over X, Y, and Z is a good thing. However, Scripture tells us that if we want to follow Christ, we must die to ourselves and pick up our cross. See, what I love about this, and we can actually go to, this is Luke 9. Let's, let's go there real quick. This is Luke 9, 23. And Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Man, Jesus is just straight up and gives a nice jab to wake us up. He gives us a nice jab to wake us up because often what we like to do is have our own life, do our own thing, and then sprinkle some Jesus on that to say that we're good. That's not denying our, and I put this in quotations, that is not denying our lordship. That is saying that Jesus is a good add-on. That is not us bowing our knees to his lordship. That is not submission. And so the first thing, the first implication for you and I, if we say we belong to Jesus, that we follow Jesus, then the first implication is that we must pick up our cross daily and die to ourselves. Picking up our cross daily means death to autonomy, death to self as we follow Christ. Number two. If that one was the jab, then this one's kind of the hug. One of the implications of Jesus as Lord is that he is the perfect mediator. This, this ought to be, bring comfort. That first one needs to be a jab. Some of you might need that. I know I did. I do often. This one, I pray, is the comfort. Do you know the, the difference between sympathy and empathy? That when it comes to empathy, you are trying to feel what someone else feels, especially if you cannot relate to them. All right, that's what empathy is. You're trying to feel what they feel. Sympathy is when you feel what they feel because you share an experience, right? Jesus is not empathetic, but sympathetic. That he meets us where we are at. In that season or that moment or in that time where you feel like God just can't understand God just doesn't know, and your need for control, your need for your pride, isn't because you just want to be Lord over all and you think you're all that, but your need for control in this is that you're broken and scared. Jesus meets you where you're at. Last week we saw that as a result 
of belonging to Jesus as a result of his work on the cross, we have access to the Father. That you can come before the Father and not have to worry about anxiety or control. That you can actually let go as you come before the Father. That you can come before Him in confidence. You can be brutally honest and receive grace and mercy at the same time. Jesus as Lord means that He is a perfect mediator. It means that your false gods have been defeated because of His life, death, and resurrection. It means that the lordship of Jesus is both a command, but also a comfort. It's also a comfort. Number three. The third implication to Jesus as Lord is that obedience is not optional. Obedience is not optional. Earlier this week, my family and I, we, we took a one-day trip to, to Ikea in San Antonio any of y'all ever been to Ikea? No? Okay. Just us cool people? Cool. All right. So when it comes to Ikea, it's this giant, you know, furniture place. It's, it's huge. Like, man, you're going you're gonna to get a workout at Ikea, right? And, uh, and one of the things that you can do at Ikea is, you know, you, you walk through it, and it has a bunch of showrooms, and it gives you ideas for how to set up your kitchen, how to set up your bedroom, how to set up your living room, et cetera, et cetera, right? And uh, once you start getting ideas or once you, once you start knowing, like, hey, I want to get this bookcase, I want to get this countertop, I want to get X, Y, and Z, uh, they have these, these tags on all the furniture. And the tags not only tell you the price, uh, the tag is also going to tell you where it's located in the warehouse because you're going to be the one that picks it up, but it also gives you a couple of other options, right? Like you dig this countertop, cool, it comes in this color or uh, you might want it in walnut, but we have it in oak. You like this bookcase? What about this bookcase? Like, it's in black, it's in white, it's in red, it's in green, whatever, man. Right? Like, you got all of these options at Ikea. And then you walk into the warehouse at Ikea. Better yet, before you even get to the warehouse at Ikea, like, the first half, I think, of Ikea is, like, the place of sanity. Because everything is kind of big, right? You're looking at bedrooms, couches, sofas, chairs, like big items. Once you get past the cafeteria, like it's hell because everything is like trinkets. And so now you got to touch it and, oh, is this going to work? Is these the kind of cups that I want? Are these going to be the bottles that I want? You're going insane, man. Like, like I hate that. Anyway, you get into the warehouse and when you get to the warehouse, you might be confronted with a couple more options, Hey, I know you like that, but we have this one on sale. We have this one on clearance. We have whatever. Like, you just have a ton of options. And for a lot of people, like my wife, she loves that. She's like, man, give me all the options. Give me all the colors. Give me all the sizes. She's, she's all about that, right? And that's cool. If we say, confess affirm, that Jesus is Lord, then obedience is not optional too many Christians treat obedience like it's optional. Too many Christians treat Jesus like he's full of options. Right? Like you come to know Jesus and you're like, man, I'm all about this, but I don't like this option. So I'm just going to put this over here. 
man, I'm all about this part of, of Jesus's life. I love the God is love part, but when it comes to, to justice, uh, you know, I'm just going to leave that in the warehouse. You know, man, I'm all about Jesus's compassion for others, but when it comes to denying myself and, uh, you know, putting, my, uh, putting the death to self, you know what, I'm just going to leave that in the cart. And in the event that I want it, maybe I'll come back to it. Too often, I think Christians, and this might be you, you want to pick and choose what you want about Jesus. And you want to pick and choose what you want to be obedient about. But if we're talking about his lordship, then that doesn't fly. Then that doesn't fly. And here's, here's the danger, I think, that comes with that. The danger is that we can use gospel-centered language to avoid the lordship of Jesus. I'll give you an example, and if you laugh, it's because it's true, right? How many times, think about, think about your Christian walk, think about your devotions, right? How many times have you been met with you're thinking through, let me say it this way. How many times have you thought through your motives or reasonings or, or we use the hashtag heart check, right? We talk about our feelings a lot, which is all good and that's all cool, but we're talking about that more than actually obeying. <laughs> all right, it's true. Good, okay? We're talking about, well, I mean, what's really my motive here? Man, I really need to check my heart. And that's a, that's a good question. Those are good, like, examinations. I really need to check the condition of my heart, like just over some coffee in Colossians. Like, I, I just need to do some of that. Uh, and essentially what we're doing is, I need to, I need to fi- figure out my motive before I actually obey Christ. That doesn't, that doesn't work. But we're using Christianese, gospel-y language to justify what God calls disobedience. And even for that, you might push back and say things like, well, you know, I'm just trying to discern. There's a little gospel language. I'm just trying to discern the condition of my heart because that's what it says in Proverbs, right? Like, I'm trying to discern the condition of my heart and just trying to figure out what Jesus wants me to do, right? He wants you to obey because the will for God for you is your sanctification. Like, he's laid that out in the pages of Scripture. Now, we're going to see how it overlaps. You might hear that and you're like, yeah, but I really got to think about this. I really got to think about that. Let's go back to that first implication. Are you trying to be the personal Lord over a certain area? You're trying to pick and choose what you like about Jesus. And when you're ready and when you think it's cool or when someone agrees with you, then you will move forward with it. Obedience is not optional. Obedience, obedience is love for Jesus. Because Jesus is Lord, we obey. Now, let me pause real quick. That doesn't mean that sometimes you don't have questions. That doesn't mean that the questions about the condition of your heart aren't good questions. That doesn't mean that sometimes you're going to be met with confusion. I'm not knocking that as long as as we move forward and as we're asking those questions, we are obeying Christ because that is the definition of worship. That's what worship is. 
And so that's the concern. That's the concern for us as a church. We can use gospel, Bible language. We can use Christianese to justify why we're just not obedient. And if we say it in a way that is compelling, brothers and sisters will say, oh yeah, you're right. Man, let me pray for you on that. What you would call a heart check in this context, what you would call a heart check, God would call disobedience. Number four. The implication of Jesus as Lord is that everything belongs to Him. Everything belongs to Him. Your money belongs to Him. Your time belongs to Him. Your talents belong to Him. And yeah, that's, that's like Christianese language, right? You know, time, talent, and treasure. So does your house. So does your family. So does that job that you have. So is your pursuit of an academic uh, career. All of that. Yep, that belongs to him. That belongs to him. If we confess and affirm that Jesus is Lord, then the implication of that, or an implication, is that everything belongs to him. And if we find ourselves, or when we find ourselves, I'll say it that way, when we find ourselves in a place where we are wrestling with our stuff, then you can reference the other implications. You can go backwards. If you are wrestling with what is yours and what belongs to God, it all belongs to God. And if you find yourself wrestling with that, then we can look to obedience. And if you find yourself questioning obedience, then we can look to, he is God and you are not. Death to self. That's how they start overlapping. And man, what I love about the gospel, what I love about Jesus, even as we look through these practical implications, is that he doesn't give us off the hook. Right? Like if we're talking about that all things belong to him, and you're like, well, I don't know about this section. Like 90% of this part of my life belongs to Jesus. Yes, totally, and amen, praise God. Right? And then there's this 10% of my life that, man, I, I just don't know. But then we can go back to the whole obedience part. Right? We can go back to that obedience. Hey, obedience is not optional. What you call a heart check is actually, uh, you know, disobedience. You're like, well, I don't know if I agree with that. It's just at this 10%. Okay, let's go back to number one. Are you dying to self? Are you picking up your cross daily? Well, no. Wow. Man, systematic theology is awesome. All right? Everything belongs to him everything. And so what are you holding on to? Right now, what are you holding on to? Here's a better question. Why are you resisting the lordship of Jesus? See some faces that don't look too happy. Why are you resisting the lordship of Jesus? And those are only four implications. That we must die to ourselves. That Jesus is the perfect mediator. That he meets us where we're at. Obedience is not an option. 
And number four, that everything belongs to Jesus. Church, the centrality of Christianity is not only belief in Jesus. That's what I talked about at the beginning. It's not only us defending that he existed, that he is real. That's good. That's part of it. But it's not all of it. The centrality of Christianity is not only belief in Jesus, but submission to his lordship. And so as we close, I want to invite you, and I want to invite you to bow your knee to the lordship of Jesus. That if you belong to Jesus, this is, this is for you. This is the comfort of a command that moves us from trust to surrender. That was week one, right? When we talk about I believe, that we want to go from skepticism to trust, from trust to surrender. So if you belong to Jesus, man, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit uses this and uses the comfort of a command to move from trust to surrender. And if you don't know Jesus, this is for you. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would use the comfort of a command that moves you from disbelief to belief in Jesus, God's only Son, our Lord. Let's pray. God, as we close our time, as we close our time and as we've talked about your Lordship or the Lordship of Christ, Lord, that, that is a much weightier statement than I think many of us think about. But just because it's weighty, it doesn't mean it's not true and not real and that it doesn't have an impact or that it doesn't have implications for us if we say we follow you. God, my prayer as we close our time, man, is that we would praise you for the work that you've done for us in Christ and that we would right now examine the condition of our hearts so that would lead us to action. Not just pensive thinking and journaling and using Christian culture as an excuse to dodge repentance. God, God, in repentance, in confession and repentance of our sin, you meet us where you're at. We, we have access to you, Father, because of the work of Jesus. We have comfort and confidence because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And so, God, would you just be at work in us this morning? I know that we can start thinking about the closing of our time, lunch, other plans, all of that stuff. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would keep that at bay right now. That you would keep that at bay, and then you would keep us in a place, in a posture of humility as we reflect on your word this morning. May you keep us in a posture of humility as we continue to worship you this morning. And in our worship, we move to a time of tithes and offerings. This is, this is where we give you our stuff, God. This is a demonstration of your work done in us. This is a demonstration of 
worship. This is a demonstration of us dying to ourselves because we are letting go of all the things that we think we are in control of. This is a demonstration of us moving from trust to surrender. And I pray that this would be a demonstration for those who are in the area of skepticism, that this would move them to a place of trust. God, we are so grateful for you and your Holy Spirit, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.